I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. In last week's episode, I spoke about parenting the emotionally sensitive child in a way that supports them to better cope with those uh-oh feelings, as I was calling them. And very soon after it aired, a parent sent me a message saying that they had enjoyed it, they found it helpful, but were asking me to say a little bit more about parenting a child who seems to prefer to deal with their difficult feelings by themselves rather than bringing them to their parents in the first instance. And I thought that was really interesting and something that I really hadn't addressed in the last episode. So I thought it would be worth doing today. And really what we're talking about is how some children, you know, tend towards more self-holding strategies when they're dealing with emotions or distressing experiences of some kind. And self-holding is a term that was developed by the child psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott, who used that term to describe what he saw as a pattern of behavior in children who choose to deal with their difficult feelings on their own rather than reaching out to others to help them. You know, they've either always coped this way or, you know, in some instances may have stopped reaching out to others for support for some particular reason. And that's particularly true if there's been a life event or a trauma or something that has taught a child, oh, you know, I'm better off keeping this to myself. But, you know, without those things present, without a trauma, without that, some children do have this tendency towards self-holding strategies, you know, and they, in some instances, you know, they may work really well for many children, at least, you know, most of the time, but it can be very difficult for them to seek support from others, even when their own attempts to resolve what is going on might have failed, or they might really need help from a grown-up, from their parent. These might be what we'd call the grin and bear it children. You know, it can look as though they're coping really well, but if you were to just scratch the surface, you would see that the emotional turmoil and the the stress or anxiety of trying to work things out to a resolution on their own, it's just bubbling just beneath the surface. Um, Now, that said, it's not as simple as saying, you know, self-holding children, they bottle feelings up because very often it won't even occur to children who are self-holding to share their feelings with anyone else. You know, they might even feel that if they were to share their feelings, it would result in them feeling worse. Or perhaps, you know, they might feel shamed by how they feel or they worry that might be the case. You know, children like I'm describing now, they might need help to develop a more emotionally expressive language that will enable them, you know, slowly, gradually, in a non-threatening way to open up about their feelings. And this language is likely not to be a verbal language. You know, this is language that they're going to need to find ways to do the communication so that they can then learn how to speak it. And I, I do think like last week when I was talking about emotionally sensitive children, I talked you through how to do a body map of feelings. And you could certainly repeat that if you've got a self-holding child as a way of kind of helping them to get a picture of what their internal emotional landscape looks like. But I also thought I would share another few techniques with you that I have found helpful when working with self-holding children. 
And, you know, the techniques I'm going to share with you are certainly therapeutic. They, you know, that said, you don't need to be a therapist to do them. They can easily be done in a non-therapeutic way by parents at home and still have very positive outcomes. So I've selected them, you know, specifically for that reason. So the first one I wanted to talk to you about was what I call a sand bottle of feelings. And for this one, there's a, you know, there's a bit of preparation involved. Um, so there's a few things you're going to need to line up and get ahead of time. For example, you're going to need a bottle or a jar. You know, plastic or glass are fine, but be sure you have a lid that would seal the top. Um, you're also going to need different colors of sand. You know, you can certainly use plain or white sand and you can color stain it by using colored chalk in your hands. I mean, it is a little messier. It is a little bit more time consuming, but it works and it works if you cannot access colored sand. I mean, that's not always available to everybody. So I just want to highlight you can do it yourself in that messy way. And in fact, you could also involve your child in color staining the sand with you and you're immediately bringing more sensory activity into this. And that's never a bad thing, particularly when we're talking about emotions, because sensory play is such a great way of releasing um, pent up emotions or working things through in a doing, not saying way. So certainly don't rule that out. You're also going to need a funnel or simply a piece of paper that you can twist into a cone. That will work just as fine if you don't have a funnel lying around. Because let's be honest, not all of us would have funnels lying around. So a piece of paper is just fine. So what you're going to do then is have the colored sand in separate containers and you're going to either use your funnel or your rolled up piece of paper funnel um, to invite your child to assign a different feeling to each color. So a bit like the colored, you know, body map of feelings I talked about last week, whatever colored sand you have there, you know, which of these colors is closest to what feeling and you get them to assign that. And then you're going to have them pour their feelings into the bottle or the jar. So if one feeling feels bigger for them, they can reflect this by pouring more of that color sand into the bottle. And then you're going to have them continue until the bottle is full because the sand will layer up on top of each other. And it is important that the bottle is full because then the sand won't mix if the bottle was to tip over or shake a bit. Um, you can put the lid on top. Now, if you have no lid, uh, you could seal the top by pouring in melted wax on top, but, and this is a big but, melted wax is obviously very hot, it's potentially dangerous, so take appropriate precautions and it might not be suitable depending on the age of child or young person you're doing this with. So make a, make a judgment call on that one, but it is an option once you do it safely. And then at the end of it, what you have is this very attractive bottle with layers of different colored sand. And it's simply, you know, that's simply how it's going to look to anyone else who looks at it or sees it. But to your child, it's actually a visual representation of their internal emotional world. And that pretty bottle or jar of colored sand can sit in their bedroom, can sit on a windowsill, and it just reminds them of how they're feeling and also serves to remind them of how they're made up of multiple feelings. And I think that's really, really important. Um, and again, it's, a, it's something that you can repeat, you can do again, because obviously feelings change and how much of a feeling that we're feeling about a particular thing can change. So you can repeat it. You could also do your sand bottle 
about a specific life event. So how do you feel about this thing that's happened? And you can repeat it for different things or make one that's very generic and very in general, how are you feeling? I do find that one more useful when it's specific to something with a self-holding child because you're saying the thing that you find hard to talk about, is there a way that we can visualize it without having to speak it? An alternative approach uh, to the sand bottle, if you're going, oh, that's an awful lot of work. I don't know where I'd get the sand. I don't like the idea of having to stain it. You could do something very, uh, you know, that's going to affect the same outcome, but is it maybe a bit easier to do? And that's to make feelings jewelry with your child. And for this one, you're going to need colored beads and you can get those in any craft or hobby shops. You know, they come in all the children's jewelry making kits. Often we have some of those lying around or half used boxes of those lying around our houses. You also will need some thin elastic and you're going to need something like a plastic needle for threading. You know, if the beads have wider holes, you won't need this. You can push the elastic through. But if they're small little ones, you will need something to push the elastic through. So just be mindful of that. And then you're going to again invite your child to assign a feeling to each color bead that you have. And then they're going to thread how much of each feeling they experience onto the elastic. And when they finish, you just tie a knot or attach a clasp to the elastic pieces. And then basically they've made a feelings necklace or a feelings bracelet or perhaps both. And the added advantage of doing it this way, of making a bracelet with elastic, is that they can wear it on their wrist. And if or when they're beginning to feel those uh-oh feelings rise up, they can gently yet firmly pull on the elastic bracelet on their wrist. And just feeling it pull against their wrist is going to bring their focus from whatever is going on back to the bracelet, which will serve to remind them that they're made up of a mix of feelings and that these uh-oh feelings are just one of those feelings. And this might in itself be enough to bring them back out of their heads in that moment and into the now which will help to calm and contain them and to help to self-regulate their emotions in the moment when they might not be with you or, you know, you might not be available to them in, the, in that specific moment to help them work it out. And I always say, you know, do these activities with your child because, of course, they could manage to do, you know, make colored jewelry or pour sand into a bottle on their own, especially, you know, if they're you know, six, seven or older, but doing it in the presence of a witness has an added benefit and it is even more comforting. You know, they're about feelings and you're there to bear witness as your child processes their feelings. You know, you're not going to query or approve their expression. You know, you're not, as I said last time, you're not going to question the colors they've chosen. What? You know, yellow for angry. Isn't that a happy color? I think red would be better for anger. This is not your process. It's theirs. You can reflect their effort or, you know, simply observe quietly as they work. You might say things like, wow, I can see you put a lot of thought into what color your feelings are. And that's a more appropriate response. Self-holding or bottling up or holding inside, all of that language, those, you know, doing that with our feelings is not only stressful, it's also very hard work. And the effort to contain everything inside can be, you know, frankly, it can be exhausting and it requires much more focus and effort than sharing those feelings would require. The developing brain that our children have, you know, it's going to seek to release this tension by pushing our children to unburden themselves emotionally. But without having successful strategies, this pent-up emotion will be released in the form of challenging behavior or emotional symptoms, you know, 
maybe behavioral regression or tearfulness or clinginess or withdrawal or, you know, crying, shouting, irrational fears, disrupted sleep, anything like that. Any kind of overt behaviors can emerge that are actually underpinned by these pent up emotional symptoms. You know, feelings are messy aren't they? They're a messy business, really. They're complicated. It's not easy. They're opaque. We don't always see them, though, you know, with behavior, we maybe do. But the feeling state itself is is actually really hard to deal with. And for many reasons, some children just don't want to risk showing their internal mess. They just don't want to risk opening that up. Um, And they maybe just don't want to overburden us with their feelings. They'd rather hang on to it and do it themselves. But having someone who loves us and who we love, having them see our mess and know that they love us anyway, mess and all, it's essential to a happy, healthy childhood. So supporting your child to find new and healthier ways to express their emotions, it can be liberating. You know, it frees them up to engage far better with their lives, their peers, their activities, family members to go about the day-to-day business of being a child. And I always remember as one previously self-holding child I worked with um, explained to me one day, um, you know, he said, my sister asked me what I come to see you about. So I told her it was like feelings physio and that I had a knot in my feelings that you're helping me work out. And I just don't think there's a better way than that to describe this process. So I'm going to end with his words, but give some of those a go and see how you get on. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting.